The History of Personal Computing. History of Personal Computing. Hey everyone, welcome to show 55 of the History of Personal Computing podcast. It's Monday, January 2nd, 2017. So happy new year. And for this new year, Jeff and I decided to uh, change things up just a little bit, do a special episode. And we've decided to look back on the earlier times of computer retail, specifically our computer retail experiences. And uh, I'm David Grealish, and here's Jeff Salzman. Merry hey, Jeff. New Year! Oh, wait, 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 that's from Trading Places. Um, <laughs> Happy birthday! Wait, what they say in Trading Places? Uh, Merry New Year. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch that movie this holiday season. That That is a sort of a holiday movie, uh, yeah, for some reason. Yeah, so is Die Hard, apparently. Yep. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about, um, we, we both, that's not a spoiler, I don't think, we both bought computers on military installations and i actually when i went to basic training they showed us die hard <laughs> funny. that's how you do it and it was chris it was around the holiday time is it start uh, crawling through the ventilation system right yeah in bare feet so um so this should be an interesting shoe i i think we both had we have a little bit in common and things different there's definitely a pattern i think that will come into play about our purchasing uh patterns <laughs> Habits, almost <laughs> habits, and you know, desires, and whatever uh, preferences. But um, anything, anything new with you? New in the me? holidays, and what would you do? Oh, I, I had off uh, all last week, um, and I just ended up uh, cleaning out my game room. My, my game room turned more into storage over the years. Over yeah, over the years, and I started uh, tackling that. I can now see my pinball machines. I actually got to play a few of them. Plus, I was uh, doing a lot of 3D printing. I found this uh, material. It's called PEI. And you put that down as your print bed over top of glass, which you would normally use. And the plastic that you use just sticks to it. Uh, That's the real problem with 3D printing is getting that first layer down. Because if it doesn't hold fast, yeah. the rest of your print could get messed up if the if the plastic lifts off the printing surface, um, especially with the two common types of plastic, PLA and ABS. ABS being worse because it shrinks as it cools, so it tends to lift and curl up, and that can ruin a print. Hmm. But this this sheet of PEI, I forget what its chemical name is, it, it's it's got like tiny little fingers, it seems, that holds onto the plastic and just keeps it there. During the whole print process, I had nothing but good prints from the thing, and I just started printing up all sorts of stuff. I had that machine running for a long time, uh, and every single one of them came out well. So it's just the surface you print on? Yes, that's the real important part with uh, home 3D printing is getting that initial layer down uh, and, and hope that layer stays. If it doesn't stay, yeah, you know, there's going to be problems. Okay. Um. We had a really good holiday, so um, did, well, we did do something. We didn't do a lot up until j- just before Christmas, and so we actually, uh, that's me, my wife, and our 13-year-old son, uh, went to Disney World, Walt Disney World. So we actually were in the parks on Christmas Day, 
and the day and so we went just two days and we went uh, the 23rd and then on Christmas Day and um, you know what it all worked out really well because Christmas Day at the Magic Kingdom is supposed to be like the worst like they feel they go to capacity like by t- really? 10 or 11 a.m. Yeah, but we did not spend oh, Christmas Day. I, I in thought for sure it would uh, be, be slower, empty. Yeah. No, apparently it's their busiest day of the year. Okay. So we actually went to the Magic Kingdom. You know, that's the that's the main park with the castle and everything on the 23rd. And it certainly got busy, but it was not at all like crazy or, you know, just jam packed or anything. And then we took the next day off to relax. And then we went to uh, Hollywood Studios on the 25th. And, um, you know, in Hollywood Studios and the. Um, Animal Kingdom are the lesser busy parks compared to Magic Kingdom being the busiest and then Epcot the second busiest. So it all was great. And we got to go on rides without too you know too bad a waiting and um all the fast passes and different things. So it was it was a nice trip. And yeah, was, fast passes relaxing. is nice. Yeah, now you can use your, your cell smartphone, you know. Oh, can you? You can right, choose. Well, yep. And I think can, Fast Pass uh, was one of the first few years uh, when I last went there. The Fast Pass was still those tickets you had to draw. Yeah, and, and also you had to go to the kiosk to get them. So I think this is a lot better. So, uh, but anyway, that's what we did. That was a nice, nice way to spend the time. See family, call some family too in Florida, Jacksonville, where I'm from. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a drive for me to get down there. So I ended up staying up here in the cold, except for our one warm day of sixty. Yeah. Oh, and it was real not like upper seventies there. Even got to like eighty two and eighty three degrees. So, you know, Orlando, Florida. So that was nice. It's been a little bit chillier here. I'm certain not as cold as there, but you know, for here it's been a little bit chilly and rainy. Yeah, it's this whole been, been holding cold here. Did you work today? No. Okay. So I go back tomorrow. Yep, me too. Vacation is over. Yes, unfortunately. But uh, over the New Year's we just sort of hung out, so that was good. But all right, so moving into the show, so I see you, you found something I hadn't heard of. Yeah, uh, I thought I missed it before. To, to update old computers, so tell us about that. Well, you heard me talking before about uh, uh, MFM to SD card. There's a project yeah. out there that does that. Well, somebody had developed, and apparently, according because this is sort of like a wiki page for it, not a Wikipedia page, but a wiki page. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, this thing came out around uh, January of Last year, I guess, <laughs> about a year ago. Um, it is a SCSI to SD adapter. Basically, it gives it's a small board with a 50-pin SCSI, I guess SCSI 1 or 2 interface. I didn't read many of the details. Um, basically, it substitutes a SCSI drive, but you use an SD card for the storage media. Uh, so it's solid-state storage in SCSI format that apparently works with a lot of systems, you know, old Macs, uh, the Commodore Amiga series, uh, the Atari, um, ST and TT and stuff like that, whatever had the SCSI, um, it should just hold be like, a, like the machine. It doesn't even matter to machine, right? As long as it could talk to that standard SCSI standard, right? It just worked. Apparently. Right? It, yeah. And, uh, I forget if it said it was a SCSI, SCSI one or SCSI two, SCSI yep. two. So that would also probably work in oh, with the right uh, cable adapter, probably work in the old uh, silicon graphics systems too. Hmm. Um, and, but one thing that I thought was great about this is the price. Um, I looked at – they have on the page that we linked to, the USA dealer is inertial computing. Um, 
and they have just a basic um, let's see yeah I'm looking SCSI, at SCSI 2 SD emulates a SCSI 1 or SCSI 2 hard drive using a micro SD card I mean it's all going there anyway um, for for 60 bucks mm-hmm. I mean really this isn't this isn't like the the uh, the the hard drive adapter that's available. Like the the what is it? I'm I'm only naming names because they're there, not not really complaining about their pricing. But mm-hmm. this is a this is a price break for similar things. Uh, compact flash adapters for other systems like uh, the ones for the uh, TRS-80 Model Three and Four and and uh, the MFM hard drive adapter. You know they're all over a hundred bucks. This is. SCSI interface using a micro SD card as a storage medium, uh, pretty much plug and play into any uh, SCSI based system for 60 bucks. Uh, and I'm like really close to pulling the trigger on one of these because I have a, a SCSI drive in my Amiga 2000 and, you know, and it takes up space. I could actually use that bay for a second disk drive, but I'm using the whole bay for the SCSI drive. And I'd like to be able to replace it with a solid state uh, alternative. Um, yeah, I mean it would be great, <laughs> and I can partition it out as as, as uh, often as I want because on the Amiga I think you can have four gig partitions, uh, and as many as that uh, as many as memory allows for, because each partition takes a certain amount of RAM to uh, um, to process an interface with it. But yeah, this uh, and and this card emulates up to four SCSI devices. Hmm. So think of on Amiga, you have each SCSI device can have multiple partitions. You you can break things down uh, pretty easily. Uh, but then again, like five different cards. It looks like there screen. is. It looks like what you want to are uh, um, five different want to variations. Do and apparently, there's there's an open source version of this. Version four is open source, so I guess if you want to build your own, um, you can do that. But the latest one they have is oh wait, I'm looking at the version five. This page is a little weirdly. Uh, version oh, five a- is sixty bucks. Version six is ninety eight. So what's the difference between them? Um, I think oh, if version six uses the the oh full size SD slot. I think it has faster transfer rate, but really. I don't think that's going to make much difference for the older systems that use SCSI. Um, oh, there's a USB interface on the uh, version 6 for mass transfer, mass storage. Uh, okay. Yep, the little mini USB. Yeah. Okay. I mean, really, but it's still under 100 bucks. It, well, it's just amazing. From what I've looked at, I'm about it anyway. The nice thing about it is, yeah, that it's not, like, platform-specific either. That's just if your machine could use SCSI, then the, as far as it knows, it's this is this just steps in and works. Yeah, my SCSI think, system. Right? Yeah, I, I don't see why not. That they're, they're uh, I mean, the page, the the resellers page, points back to that wiki page. It says uh, the systems that it was uh, tested on, and pretty much it looks like a who's who of SCSI devices or SCSI systems. Uh, well, for the TI-99 slash 4A, they had the MyArc uh, Geneve um, that used SCSI. Oh, there, there is SGI Indy. I have, uh, I have an Indigo 2, which is, you know, pretty, sim- 
similar. And and you can even use it in uh, apparently a lot of um, uh, music samplers that use SCSI Drive for storage. Hmm. So th- this is uh, really nice. Some of them it says you probably need a special bootloader installed, but you know, if you have a Commodore Amiga or Mac 2, Mac 2 uh, LC, yeah, definitely uh, Mac LC3, Mac SE30. I wonder if it'll work on the um, the the Luggable, Mac Luggable, because that had a SCSI driver. Did that have a, a custom connector to it? Are you talking about the Mac Portable? Portable, yeah. It had a standard SCSI port. SCSI, so it might yeah. just work on there, too. I Well, but those were not SCSI 2. No, but SCSI 1 yeah, is, so you, is a subset of SCSI. SCSI 2 is just an enhancement over SCSI yeah. 1, but it should still be it, compatible. Yeah, as long as you have the cable, then yeah, it shouldn't matter. Of yeah. course, in that case, you could go all the way back to a Mac Plus. Cause Pro, that, that oh, it was, says here, SCSI-based Macintosh PowerBooks also reported to work on the ThinkPad 860 running Win NT4 hmm. PowerPC. <laughs> Sun Workstations, there's another list. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what stands out for me is that it works on the Amiga 2000. Um, so that uh, oh, I see. Here that's it is, nice to know. Yeah, so it's got a, a Mac 2 running system 6.0.8, LC3 and, L- and LC475. Interesting that it's saying those specifically than a Mac SE30. may have been what they've been tested on. Yeah, maybe it can't go below that because it needs a certain amount of power. On the on the microprocessor or something, I don't know. Mac Plus may be too you know slow or something. I don't know. But then again, I don't see why not. I thought timing issues. I th- thought they were mostly oh. asynchronous. That they'll. I don't know. Um, you know more about the work than me. that's needed. Well, unless it has I'm something sure to do with the controller too. It could be because maybe but earlier hey, Macs they needed more of the controller stuff going on at the device level versus the Mac side or something like that. I don't. Well, know. if you got a if you got a basement. Of stuff like I have, uh, you buy the one card, you get a few SD cards to put in there, and then you just try it <laughs> on all the systems, see if it works. Uh, I think the hardest part will be copying partitions, but that has to be done on the appropriate platform. But these boards have built-in terminators, so you just put them oh, at the end of the line. That might be part of the deal, too, that whole termination stuff. That always confused me. Some Some... You know, SCSI devices need to be terminated. Some didn't, and that could get a little bit frustrating and confusing. Yeah, the termination. I, I know it's needed, and I think it has to do with the uh, the signal levels across the line. That if you don't terminate it, uh, the signal levels are off. And not that it may or may not work. It's just that it won't be stable. Yeah. Well, I think it, in the case of some of the early Macs, like it wouldn't work if you don't get that set right. It won't hurt anything. Just won't work, even with one device. Or be sensitive to um, signal levels and stuff. Yeah, because I know I think I have a hard drive. Like if I don't put the Terminator plug on it, you know, it doesn't, it won't see it. So, but anyway, very cool. And uh, so that will be listed in the show notes as usual. All the links here. So moving along, I have two quick little uh, sort of actual true newsy things I just happened to find. So I thought I'd mention them. And um, so these links will be in the show note. Notes just we'll tell everybody about them um, without going into it too much. So the first one is from history.com, the history channel, and it's human computers, the women of NASA. And I think, uh, you know, there's that movie that's coming out or it's already out. Yeah. It's, have you seen that? The I haven't seen it. Actually, I saw it. Rogue One over the holiday season, so it's uh, the only we, movie I saw. Yeah, us too. 
And um, I haven't seen this movie either, though. I'd like to see it, but that's why I'm thinking that why this article has come out. But it's very interesting. So again, Human Computers, the women of NASA. And um, if anybody didn't know this, of course, um, you know, until uh, computers became synonymous with UNIVAC in the early 50s, you know, computers were people who computed. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so anyway so human computers you know the people that tabulated and so on but it's very interesting and uh, it mentions too that uh, let's see these women were tasked with turning numbers into meaningful data at what would later become nasa's jet propulsion laboratory jpl and langley research center and it just so happens that my wife and i both worked at nasa langley research center in hampton virginia for four and a half years so um so i know a little bit about that that was actually the very first nasa center um, back before it was NASA, they was called NACA, and uh, <laughs> played a big role in aero. You know, uh, not aerospace, but um, I can't think. Not aeronautics was the proper word. You know, airplane development in any case. So anyway, I thought aeronautics would fit there. Yeah. So very interesting article. Check that out. And then a second one I found is, and you might have heard about this one, Jeff. So is this from today or yesterday? This is from yeah today. So this yeah, is I think cult, I saw it. Cult of Mac. Today in Apple history, Apple II gets its killer app. So that was, um, is that 40 years today? Oh, 1979. So that's, uh, God, let me do the math. 21, 30. Almost <laughs> nine, 40 years. 38, yeah. 38 years ago. 38 years. So it's speaking, of course, of uh, Visicalc. I, I guess with these are announced or shipped. That's where it gets blurry sometimes with these things. So, uh so anyway, the, the first killer app became real today in 1979, and, and that would be VisiCalc. So actually, a uh, great article, read it, you can read more about it. So, you know, VisiCalc, actually, people started buying Apple IIs to order to run VisiCalc. Yep, and it's that way you can keep track, according to this, of your toe toner or your buzz cuts. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and it's also considered the first true uh, spreadsheet. Um, and then interestingly, what's generally considered the second killer app was a, uh, a a copy, I guess, if you will, an improvement of uh, innovation over VisiCalc, and it was called Lotus One Two Three for the IBM PC. Nineteen, uh, I'm not sure when it shipped, but PC. Yeah, it was the first uh, spreadsheet I've worked with, and I just sort of remember not understanding the concept. Yeah, and I know on the Mac, uh, um, PageMaker, Adobe PageMaker would probably be considered the the killer app for the Mac. It really helps sell a lot of a lot of Macs and establish desktop publishing and, and very much help, you know, save the Mac because it wasn't doing so well up until then. What well, was there one for the Amiga, you would say? Uh there was um well there was uh, a spreadsheet called Analyze. Well I mean a killer app though. Killer oh killer app for the Amiga Deluxe Paint. Oh okay. It was pretty advanced, wasn't it? Yes. Well, it did animation. It did page paging animation, um, which was nice because well, Deluxe Paint two didn't, but Deluxe Paint Deluxe Paint in like what they call the ham mode, the four thousand ninety six colors at once mode, um, and then Deluxe Paint three I think started the animation capabilities, and Deluxe Paint four just kind of refined all that. Um, but the killer app for the Amiga early killer app would have been uh, Deluxe Paint. Okay. Um, other than maybe uh, if you were really into the 3D graphics at the time, then you're you're talking you know Sculpt 3D or Sculpt 4D. And I guess kind of later on in the Amiga's life, the video toaster arguably sort of Killer kept hardware, it around yeah. for a while, right? 
longer. That, that helped. That put it into more desktops and TV studios. Yeah, on a more pro level anyway. I still like to fire mine up from time to time. So normally this is the podcast where we take an informal look at personal computing history through the lens of eBay auctions. And that's why it's sort of like Antiques Roadshow, but all about antique personal computers. But again, for today's show, we're doing something a little different. And we're going to talk about uh, older past retail experiences, specifically ours. And um, I, I guess we both, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about our first four computers and where we bought them. Yeah, because in previous shows near Christmas, we talked about other people's first computers, especially yeah. the ones they got for Christmas. Well, we, we decided to expand upon that and just discuss our own experiences. And a little bit more from the from the standpoint of where we bought them and what, what that was like. Yeah, the, the, the feeling. So on, yeah, so there, was a, there was a feeling associated with the purchase of you know these computers. Now, those feelings diminished over time. Um, but, you know, everybody remembers their first computer, right? Yep. Um, and I guess I'll start out with my first computer. And anybody who's listened to me talk on these podcasts or other podcasts probably know now that my first computer was a Commodore VIC-20. And I still have it within reach of my desk here. Um, Your first one. My first one. It's still here. Still got the same pet-style keyboard because it was one of the earlier VIC-20s that had the... Uh, Two-pin uh, power supply. Yeah. And according to the sticker on the back, it was bought at Computers Unlimited Incorporated on uh, October 22nd, 1981, with a uh, warranty that lasted until January 22nd, 1982. Um, days, huh? Yeah, 90-day warranty on a brand-new uh, computer. But Computers Unlimited was a um, – well, they were – I don't know what area, region they spanned, but they were – Around my area, I got it in York, Pennsylvania, um, and I got it for three hundred twenty-five bucks, which was actually about twenty-six dollars higher than retail pricing. But even at the time, you didn't see them in Kmart, you didn't see them at Toys R Us. This was about the only place you could buy Vic Twenty in my area at the time. Well, you bought it before the whole uh, video before. game crash, and bought the, it before the crash and yep. the, and the and war between uh, Commodore and Atari and TI. Yes. And and there was a pet in the in the store, but see the the um, the other. I got this because my parents said one day, "Hey, let's go get you a computer." Uh, and I, it wasn't it wasn't my decision at first, but my it was my decision to choose. And and the other places we went to, there was a, a department store called Mailman's. I don't know what region that covers, but there's a department store called Mailman's that sold the Atari series. They had the Atari four hundred and eight hundred. Mm-hmm. I think was selling the Atari 400 and 800 or JCPenney was actually selling that stuff too. Um, so I looked at the Atari 400 and the price was pretty high. It was a great system, but the price was pretty high. Uh, then we went to Radio Shack, which was in the same strip mall. Um, and I saw the, you know, I, I knew about the Tandy color computer and this is what they call now the Model 1, but, you know, the gray color computer. And, and it was nice. I mean, the, the 499 I think, was the price for that. Uh, and, and it was okay. I knew about them. And I was actually almost deciding to get that one. So, yeah, that'd be nice. But then my parents remembered something about this place, Computers Unlimited, or they had they already knew that they wanted to go there also because, you know, you got to shop around. Uh, so we went there, and and I've told this story, I think, to a couple people. I went in there. I saw Apple Computer. I saw Pet Computer. Didn't really know what a pet computer was at the time. Um, and, and they were nice. And in fact, that's what they tried to sell, an Apple Computer or a pet computer. My parents didn't like the price mm-hmm. and 
So they asked if there was anything cheaper. And then the salesman kind of just turned around, pointed his arm to this big poster on a wall on the other side of the room. And I turned around and saw that. And then, you know, it's like that movie feeling where you see something glow, you know, that's it. It's calling you. Yeah. Well, that poster called me. I ran right over to where that where the computer it was the a big color poster of the Commodore VIC-20 um, sales poster. And right below that, of course, was the Commodore VIC-20 hooked up to a color monitor. And I fell in love with it right away. Um, and it was only, you know, 325. Uh, but it had f- uh, 25% more memory than the co- color computer. It, it had 5K instead of 4K. And I like the fact that you can change the text colors just through the keyboard. All the other ones, they didn't let you do that. It had full screen editing. I knew a little bit about, you know, how the, the advantages of being able to type in a line, hit enter, and then just move the cursor back to that line, make changes, that kind of stuff. Had a better basic it, too, didn't it? It the actually it had or? a worse basic. Oh, did it? It has a really simple Microsoft basic. Oh, it, it still has have, the pet basic, I guess. Yeah, it had pet basic, but it had color capabilities. Um, and this thing was so new that even Commodore didn't have their, uh, programmer's reference menu out yet. Um, because I remember calling them up one day to get some answers about this high resolution graphics it's supposed to be able to do. And they actually sent me a Xerox copy of that section of their new book that was coming out, the programmer's reference guide. So I learned a little bit how that worked, but still, this was my experience with it. I, I stayed up all night with that thing. We hooked it up to a small TV that my parents, you know, had set aside a few months before cause they, you know, bought a bigger one. Um, so it's a little 13 inch Sony Trinitron sitting on top of a table with this computer and me at it all night and part into the next day. I just, you, you couldn't pull me away from it. And I even have a picture of me somewhere, um, probably a few months later sitting in front of that thing, you know, programming it. Um, but it, it was definitely experience. And we also got a cassette deck, one of the older style, pet style cassette decks, not those newer flat ones with the rounded corners. There was two different types of cassette decks that they had for them, but they used uh, uh, the, the old pet style one. And bought some software, some games on tape, uh, some home financing software on tape, which we never really used. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that and Compute Magazine, that, that's all I needed. And the pet was more expensive at that point? Yes, it wow. was. I, I couldn't tell you which model the pet it was, but it, it was over uh, you know, $700, $800. I guess that makes sense with the display. Yeah, and I guess, right, it wasn't like the original pet. It was the They kept those updated, but they weren't yeah. color. But then it's no. still, and it didn't have the cassette built in, but it, it did have the screen built in, which cost some money. Yeah, it, yeah, screens were expensive back then. But this was just, uh, this was the thing. It it was great. I was happy. I said, I, I don't even need to go back and consider the color computer anymore. Uh, this is the one. And, you know, pulling the line that they used for TI-99s, right? This is the one. Uh, this is the one for me. And uh, we took it home. Um, I was so thankful for that thing. Um, I didn't do much with it, but I really worked at it a lot. You know, it's, you know, you, uh, the illusions of grandeur that I'm going to write the ultimate program. I, they, I don't think they called them killer apps back then, but to me, it was just, just playing around with it. It was, it was a tool to use to figure out what I can do with it. I taught myself uh 6502 machine language, uh, with that thing, hand poking it and, until I started using data statements. But I, really just exercised it to learn what I could do with it. I didn't, I didn't really try to make 
major games. I made a couple Christmas demos, but that was about it. It's but it had a, a, a big influence on my life. And of course, we've covered the Vic Twenty. I'm almost positive. I'm absolutely yes, and I probably told a similar story there too. Oh, well, that's all right. But now, but that just occurred to me that I think in our show notes we'll put links to uh, the shows where we cover these machines. That might be a good thing to do. So, um, all right. So I'll remember to do that. So, so moving on to my first computer then. Yeah. So what did you get? So that's 1981 for you. Mine would be, and you were a kid because we're about the same age. So for me, I was actually an adult and uh, are you, you were barely a kid, right? I guess you were. I was in 10th grade. Okay. So for me, I was a full fledged adult and uh, my Commodore 64, you know, which is for the most part, an upgraded Vic 20, you know, it came late, somewhat late in the game, about halfway through its, its lifespan, I guess. But 1986, uh, for my birthday was actually a gift. And, um, most of the time, if I looked at it, that was right when I started thinking about maybe getting a computer. And so I hadn't looked a lot, but I think most of my experience looking at computers were, were in toy stores and we had, um, I had recently posted something about like pictures of a toy store. Yeah, I think it was yeah. from a Toys R Us, and um, I can so, believe it. All, all those stores had were stocking computers in Montgomery Ward. Yeah, Sears, uh, J.C. Penney's. Yep. But of course, the toy store, both um, what was it, KB in the mall, which I definitely remember them selling. You know, some not the name brand computers, but I know they sold the Adams and they sold like the Mattel uh, Aquarius and different things like that. But um, I don't know where mine came from, but I got it in 86 for my birthday. So summer of 86, it was a gift. But um, I put some links in the show notes uh, for some pictures of um, Toys R Us, though, and some ads. Because uh, that's where I definitely used to see them a lot. And, of course, they sold. They also sold Ataris, I know, and, and a few other, other ones I don't remember exactly. That's right. They had that big wall, and you pull those little tags to get the piece of hardware you want, and you bought yeah, it. Yeah, because they're behind you the, it up. the plastic or whatever. <clears throat> So, uh, so in the show notes, there's a link here where um, it'll just take you to a Google search for Commodore 64 Toys R Us, and there you can see some different ads. And uh, there's not really uh, – are there any actual pictures here? But, you know, we did tweet it out recently, and in the Facebook page, you can see, like, one picture, which it shows from the time. Yeah, and frame. I did some newspaper uh, searches um, – I have a newspapers.com subscription and you can actually look at archived newspapers. Um, and I found some, um, for some of these computers through there, I, I snipped them. I'll try to get them included also in the, uh, okay. online document. So again, mine was a, uh, so it was a Commodore 64, which came out around 82. So this is a little, you know, fairly well into its run. And that was my first computer and I was really happy to get it. And all I ever owned, I've told this story before too, was just the computer. So I never had a display or a data <laughs> set right. or a disk drive. All I could do with it was plug it into my television set and leave it on for days at a time and mess around in basic. Um, I certainly didn't learn machine language on it or anything. I just learned some really basic, basic programming, which was still fun. And uh, so it was, in fact, my first computer, uh, you know, when, as we move on, it wasn't really what I considered my first real computer where I really did a lot of stuff with, but it, but, but it has a special spot for me, um, plays in my heart. <laughs> so first computer, I mean, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. Um, I had it for a couple of years and it's funny. I don't remember what happened to her, what I did with it. I'm assuming I had, I either sold it or gave it away cause I did not have it a few years later when I joined the military and, um. But hey, we'll get to that point. So, 
So now I think people, our listeners will see a trend here. So go ahead with your second computer. <laughs> My second computer happens. I, I just went up the scale. I yeah, got a Commodore sense. 64. Yep. Which I is really for the most part, it's, a, it's just the upgraded VIC-20. Well, yeah, plus the SID chip, plus the VIC-2 yeah. graphics chip, uh, and the fact that it can do high resolution without doing character mapping, remapping to do it. That was the real trick with the VIC-20 is that mm-hmm. you had to remap the font to get uh, a pixelated display. But, um, yeah, I was uh, I was stationed at Fort Hood. I was making my own money um, now. And, and after basic training, after my uh, – uh, schooling, my AIT, you know what AIT is, Advanced mm-hmm. Individual Training. Once I got my job... Well, tell the listeners title, what it is. Yeah, yeah, advanced yeah. Individual Training, yep. <laughs> well, you have basic uh, training is where you, every, every soldier or sailor or whoever has to go to, or, or uh, airman, because you're in the Air yes. Force, right? No, and, I was in the Army. Oh, you're in the Army. Okay, I'm sorry. Yep. But that's where you <laughs> learn the basics, and then... Uh, Thus, basic training, right? Or boot camp, they call it the Navy. But then you go to learn what you to do your actual job that they yep. hired you, if you will, or whatever got you for. And that was in the Army, it was called AIT, Advanced Individual Training. So yep. when you graduated that, you had your job title and they sent you off somewhere. Well, they sent me to Texas, Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, every Army and, uh, Army and Air Force base had a store called AFES. Mm-hmm. A, uh, it stands for Army and Air Force Exchange Service. System. Is that what System, system. Yeah, a okay. lot of people just refer to it as the exchange. The exchange, yeah. yeah. It's pronounced AFES, or it's an yeah. acronym called AAFES. We called it AFES, um, or the exchange. But that's a department store that's on base. So I went in there with some of. Uh, I had gotten a, a bonus with my uh, enlistment after passing my AIT, and part of it went to a car. The rest of it went to other things like, well, I went into. Uh, the AFI store and bought a Commodore 64 and a cassette drive. Uh, the, the 1541 disc drive was still a bit expensive. Um, and I already laid down, I, I, I spent somewhere between 150 and 200 and I honestly don't remember that I'm going by what I've seen the retail prices for during that time and other stores. So I can only assume I spent 150 to 200, maybe a little bit more with the data set. It sounds uh, about right. Because yeah. they were really affordable by then. But the drive was still one ninety nine, and I just didn't have enough money, so I put that on a uh, three-month layaway, but I paid that off a lot sooner. Um, so I had I was doing cassettes for about a month or so, and I think at the time I was clearing uh, $300 a month. Yeah. <laughs> I think my, at my wow. pay grade, I was only at four ninety something uh, a month. Uh, of course, they take taxes out, so it wasn't making a whole lot of money. Um, but you know, they were feeding me and giving me a place to to sleep but, and healthcare. And healthcare, that's right. Yep. Um, so it, it took a little while to save up the money, but I eventually had a disk drive, and you know that you just had a hard time separating me from it. It was Texas. I hung around with friends and stuff. I traveled around because I was a newly independent person. I had my Volkswagen Beetle. I'd go anywhere I want to, and I. I've even gone down to the nearest Toys R Us, which is like 40 miles away in Austin, and buying stuff. I bought my MPS 803 Commodore printer um, from from an Austin, Texas Toys R Us. Um, and so I was printing stuff with my Commodore 64. I even printed some of like the platoon rosters with that. I you know, helped out um, the, the platoon sergeant. You know, to get some of that stuff done as as personnel came and went, I just used I think I used the Magic Desk cartridge 
for this, and I just printed up platoon rosters. So I, I put it to use for some things, but mainly it was for gaming, and it was for going to the Fort Hood uh, Commodore Computer Club. Uh, and, of course, what did you do in computer clubs back then? You pirated games, so that was a big thing. Yeah. Do you remember what else did they sell? What other computers? Did you did you consider like a PC at all in 1985? Well, not at all. Didn't like the idea of it. Um, they they had the Macintosh here. My first experience of actually touching and using an original Macintosh was at Afe's at Fort Hood. Um, they way also expensive. had the yeah, <laughs> it was way expensive. Yeah. But I do remember they had the the Plus Four there when when I was there mm-hmm. and Sears in the nearby mall was it called the colleen mall the colleen texas was the supporting uh surrounding town uh, i think the sears there had the commodore 16 and the plus four so i saw those uh, of course they were still there was still the vic 20 and the commodore 64 being sold at places i don't think afies was selling the vic 20 um, but still, like I like I bothered to even look. A, I had one, but it was at home, and B, the Commodore sixty four was better. So that's well. I, I just, but I, I moved on. I just did everything I could to learn the Commodore sixty four. And you kept your Vic twenty. I kept my Vic twenty. Did you keep the Commodore sixty four? Do you still have it? Uh, I'll tell you the story in a little bit. Okay. Uh, oh, I think you. Okay. <laughs> and you know what? I don't know. I can't believe I forgot this because I've told this story plenty of times. But I do remember what happened to my Commodore 64. And I've, I've certainly told you before. Yeah. Uh, see, when, let me think on what when that was. It wasn't much longer. It was the summer of 87. So really just I only had it a year. And um, the one and only time in my single adult life I had my own apartment, hardly owned anything. Do you remember me telling you this? And I, I had a... Mm. I, I think you um, in did, my but living I don't room. Quite remember the details? Yeah, I moved into a one bedroom, first floor, like a um, quadruplex or whatever. And then um, in my, I had like bedroom set. I had like a little dining set, if you will, and a couple of chairs, and that's all I owned. And you know, some dishes and stuff. And so, so literally, I had my 13 inch color TV on the floor in the living room, and I had my Commodore 64 in front of it. And I sat on the floor, and I was messing around with it. And I left it there one night. I had to go to work, so I was a waiter at Bennigan's. And I had to, you know, close, and and so I should have closed my rear, my rear. Oh, I didn't have curtains. That was it. So, so apparently somebody had a big party in the neighborhood, and if so, whoever walked past my glass sliding doors, all my lights were out, but you could see the glow of my TV and the Commodore sixty four sitting there. Someone smashed out my glass sliding doors and stole them. Jeez. That's what happened to that. So yeah, the, the two of my own, my most valuable possessions got stolen. So anyway, moving Thanks. along. So I would not. Oh yeah, own. my 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 wife's Commodore sixty four got stolen out of the back of my car. Um, um, but that was like stinks. in that was like in ninety three. She had got it from her her parents, and I was I had it in the back of my car for some reason, and I and, and she was in the hospital for um, she was having uh, her appendix taken out, and not appendix uh, her gallbladder taken out. Wow. But. This was downtown Lancaster. I had this thing in the back of my car, and it was actually kind of you know tucked behind the driver's seat, not on the rear seat. Yeah. Uh, but it was late at night. I uh, I went in I went went into visitor. Obviously, when visiting hours were over, I came back out. The rear window of my my car was smashed <laughs> out, and that was gone. Like, but see the yeah, I mean that's the like, Commodore sixty four was worthless at that time. Um, people were giving them away, but you know, I guess somebody wanted me to give them hers. 
<laughs> she's she still ribs me from uh, occasionally about that when I bring it up. So yeah, she had a nice pristine Commodore sixty four and it got stolen out of my car. I mean that's um, bold though, smashing the whole back. I mean just like the, my glass sliding doors. But I guess this party was so loud and everything. No one, I don't know. Oh, these were just thieves. Yeah, yeah, plain and simple. So right, so my second computer, and 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 uh, this is where we start diverging a little bit, you and I, and uh, and of course this sets the pattern for my life, if you will, in, in more than one way. So uh, anyway, it was an Apple Lisa. So I've certainly spoke about this before. It was my original Apple Lisa, which uh, technically was also a Mac XL. It was new old stock. So um, so the link in the show notes is basically to my interview with Bob Cook I did in uh, 2012. Um, and he was the owner of Sunry Marketing in Logan, Utah. And that's where I bought this from. So it was mail order. And, and we're talking December 1989. That's how much later it was that I, I got these. And I'm not going to um, say a whole lot more because you, you can listen to uh, my interview with him and, and what I wrote about. And there's a lot of great pictures there and some scans of the catalogs and different stuff. But I couldn't afford – I worked for an Apple dealer in Florida, and I couldn't, I couldn't afford a Mac Plus, which was like the introductory Mac and a hard drive to go with it, And uh, which no big surprise. They were really expensive. So – so I pretty much maxed out this one charge credit card I had. It was $1,095, which was a really good deal at the time. And for all practical purposes, it was a Mac Plus. So it had a one megabyte of RAM. It had the actual double density 800K disk drive. So it's like a Mac. It had the screen fix, which if, if you don't know about that, um, Lisa's had like rectangular pixels and Mac's had square pixels. So it totally looked like a real Mac. It ran the Mac uh, operating system, System 6 at the time, and had a 20 megabyte hard drive. Um, more than enough. Oh yeah, definitely more than enough at the time. So that served as my first Mac and it started me on the road of, uh, Mac dumb for pretty much now the rest of my life. But also that's what intrigued me about its history and getting into computer history was, uh, getting fascinated by this computer and Apple and Apple's history and so on. So, uh, but if you never, if you've never checked out this, um, this interview I, I did, Definitely check that out because it's good with uh, Bob Cook. We talk all about it, some great pictures again. And uh, and that's so unfortunately, it went through some hard times and I sold that computer. And I've actually owned, I want to say, at least four in my lifetime. And I, I actually have one now that I'm trying to restore that I actually bought locally off Craigslist. And um, so I think well, I'm on Craigslist. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good fun. Not in my area. They have, it happens every so often. So that, that was what I consider my first real computer. And it was my, actually my second one, but with it, I actually did, you know, work. I actually got things done and, um, yeah, it's got more productivity capabilities. Well, yeah, it had a you know, hard drive and everything. And so I was able to, um, I actually moved into desktop publishing and I helped and I made it pay for itself over the years because, you know, it was expensive. So I, I did, I used to do, um, like resumes for people and do pre-press work for print shops and different stuff with it. So, so that's when I diverged off into the Apple world and the Mac. But of course, Commodore always had a special place in my heart. And uh, we'll come back to that on my next computer. But go ahead. Tell us about your third computer. My third computer. Now, if you can picture one of those, um, oh, what's the movie? Breeders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Uh, flyovers over the map, you know, as, uh-huh. as the line draws from place to place. Exactly. I'm, I'm yeah. going from Fort Hood, and I was stationed in eastern Turkey. Um, wow. You know, Which, from there, there's still bases there, very important bases. Not there. Army bases. They closed all those down. Uh, well, see, there's the thing, but what, you were in an Air Force base, and you're in the Army? Well, we were a very small detachment out near uh, the eastern 
region of Turkey, a, a town called Erzurum, which is near yeah. Mount Ararat. Yeah. Um, but we were supported. We got a lot of our stuff shuttled in or flown in from Injerlik Air Base in southern Turkey, which oh. is basically a resort area. Uh, but then again, it's the Air Force. They, they, <laughs> they set up at resort areas. Their resort, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but every once in a while, we can either take a, a long weekend down there or we can have what and you know as TDY, temporary duty. Mm-hmm. Um, I had TDY down at uh, the Injerlik Air Base for about a week. Um, and while I was down there, I had some cash burning a hole in my pocket, and I went into the AFES there in southern Turkey and bought a Commodore 128 with a Commodore 1571 disk drive. I had my Commodore 64 back in, in the barracks, back in Erzurum, and uh, I just had to have this wow. because it was there. The price was right. I, I believe it was about 500 bucks for the pair. Once again, I don't remember the exact amount. Uh, but I was going by what retail pricing would have been about that time, which was in uh, 87, 1987. Um, and it's about 500. I probably paid a little bit more than that. But I was staying in an on-base on motel, and I just took it right back to to the motel room, and I set it up right there right away because I still had a few days there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I had a computer system in the motel room hooked up to the motel TV. Uh, it was great. I learned all the things about uh, 1571. I didn't have much software. I think I actually went back to the AFI store and bought a piece of software because um, I didn't really expect myself to open this up right away. But, you know, I was, had that the kid-like mentality. I just had to play with the toy right away. Um, so I had fun with that. I, bought, I think I bought Hardball. The uh, the baseball game. Mm-hmm. I know uh, that. Yep. And <laughs> I, I used the Commodore 128 mode for a little bit, but I was still basically using it as a Commodore 64. But I liked the new sleeker form because I had the old Breadbox 64. That's what I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, packed it all up. Took Which that's like the me. one most people think of. That's what mine was too. Yeah. Yeah, the, you have to actually say the 64C for the other style that looks like a shrunken Commodore 128. Yeah. But uh, I didn't get to play around with the 80 column mode because I didn't have an RGB, a TTL RGB display. But at the end of the week, I packed it up, uh, took it along with me. We were we were shuttled using a C-140 cargo plane uh, for the uh, flight from southern Turkey to eastern Turkey. So, you know. All, all this army green stuff and duffel bags and stuff. And there's a, a box that says Commodore 128 and a box that says 1571 disk drive. <laughs> all piled up in, in the uh, cargo area. Get back. I set up my new toy and now I have two computers. Who has two computers, right? Yeah. No. Back <laughs> 1987. Nobody has two computers. I have two computers. Um, so I ended up selling it to somebody who wanted a computer. So I sold my com- not not the fit, not the uh, 128, but I sold my 64, my Commodore 64. So that's what happened with my original Commodore 64. It was sold to somebody else on base who wanted a Commodore computer. I couldn't sell my disk drive, but um, I think it was just the computer and what he did and what we usually did. If we wanted to special order something, we could basically mail order from AFES. Uh We had a very very small um, post exchange. It was 
kind of a small booth that was almost like a, a mini market uh, where we can get like food stuff and we can buy beer and you know a, a few things that we need for you know personal goods and stuff. But for any major purchases, we could quote mail order and it would be shipped up on our next supply trip, which came twice a week. Uh, so uh, I think what he did is he bought a disk drive and had it shipped up. Um, so he was happy and I had a few bucks in my pocket to buy some beer and, um, and I st- still had my Commodore 128 and 1571 and 1541 disk drive. So I had two disk drives at that time. Nice. But because I was in a remote detachment, this was kind of a lifeline for me. You know, what really wasn't much to do except yeah. drink. And then, and then ironically, probably your, a lot of your buddies, they couldn't care less, right? They yeah. didn't get it or they weren't into it. But the other thing was, and I had almost forgot about this, the um, the the library room, there was like a what, – what do they used to call those rooms where you know, you, where it's sort of a common room? I, oh, what the, you, I would think they called them like a common area, the common or area. Or day room. Con- yeah. Yeah. Maybe the day our room. day room had a small library area near it and in there was a Commodore 64 that really? people could use, yes. In fact, that's they had Fleet System 4 as a word processor there, and they had a few other things, but they did have a Commodore 64 there. Um, but I had already had my own, so no wow. big deal. Um, but I, w- I was able to use a lot of that software, but it was neat that they had it. Um, I think somebody else in our – it was a really small detachment. I think it was total 50 people. Somebody had a, a PC – IBM PC Junior. Mm-hmm. And I don't know of anybody who had any other computers. It was really only two of us there to had computers. Yeah, uh, I remember. So, um, yeah, since I'm saying this, yes, I, jo- I was in the Army, too. I joined in the uh, winter, you know, November of 1990. 1990. So, and then once I got to, like, uh, AIT, uh, I don't remember anybody else really being in the computers. Not like I knew everybody, but or, or anybody else having computers. I remember just being kind of an oddball. <laughs> no one else is particularly into t- yeah, the, the geek stuff or whatever geeks didn't come into their own around me in any way turn yeah. of the century so um so continuing that that uh theme so guess what i so again i joined the military so i had my lisa it was great i loved it but then in the fall of 90 i decided to join the, the army i pretty much sold everything i owned I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, other than my Lisa computer. And I I actually shipped that to my brother in Virginia to hold it for me as I went off to basic training. And then uh, then I went to AIT at Fort Gordon, Georgia. Yep. Great place. And and I was there for six months and then uh, met a girl, fell in love, got married. (laughs) She graduated two weeks ahead of me, went off to Germany. And uh, you you get something called joint domicile when you do that. And so it worked out really beautifully that uh, by the time I got to Germany – um, we had our joint domicile paperwork or orders. So therefore the, the army would guarantee that they didn't station us more than 50 kilometers away from each other, which actually they stationed us like, uh, you know, two kilometers which or less, which is not even a, like less than a mile. So oh, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. In Germany. Uh, the, so we were stationed in Darmstadt, Germany. There was a, uh, these little bases were called concerns. And so there was the main concern and there were two smaller ones. And I worked on one, the smaller one and right at the road, she worked at the other one. So in any case, um, so she had been in Germany, already arrived, did the joint domicile. She was, since she was a married woman and I was expected, she got to stay in a little like a uh, hotel temporary housing on on post uh, until we got our permanent housing 
Uh, they so call that BEQ or something like that, bachelor's yep. and list of quarters. Yeah. So so I arrived, and so we ended up both staying in in that little hotel, if you will, for a little over a week or so. And so um, so I had a little bit of money, and one of the first things we did was check out everything. But uh, on on base, you had your main, uh, you had your commissary where you bought groceries and stuff. You had the main exchange, which is like a department store. And different bases were different. But this one actually had its own separate, like, electronic store. And and they sold, like, movies here and, you know, music and, uh, you know, stereo equipment and TVs and computers. And they had this. Uh, and if you look on the Google search, which will be in the show notes, Jeff, um, I just did a search, an image search for Commodore Test Pilot. So you can see a, a few different pictures. But this is what I bought because even though I had my, my Mac, my Apple Lisa I love so much, I really wanted a, a Commodore again to play around with till I could receive it and play games on. So I bought that Commodore Test Pilot. Oh, when they bundle. did the bundling and stuff. Yeah, which I believe in. So this is summer of 91. It was, I think it was, I want to say 299. Which, you know, wasn't too bad because you got the computer, you got a joystick, you got uh, the 15, I guess, 41.2 disk drive. And this was a 64C, which looked like, uh, you know, an Amiga or a 128. And then you got you got a bundle of different um, flight simulator and, and different kind of games with it. And so that, so that I had for many years. Um, but that was my, my third computer. Was a commerce yeah, system before seeing a lot of those bundles like that. Which you know, we're uh, talking ninety one, mid ninety one here. This was very yeah. late in its lifetime, and it's and, and for the most part, the reason people would buy this would be for gaming primarily at that point. You know, for yeah, the money, and you still have computing capabilities. Yeah, it could compete against uh, Nintendo. Throw a printer on it and stuff. Which I'm not sure if the Super Nintendo was out yet at that point. So the graphics on this arguably were as good or better maybe than a regular original Nintendo. Just depending. Yeah, I I, I believe so. <laughs> Not by <laughs> much, they... if anything. No. But, but a really cool system. I liked it. So that was my uh, that was I guess considered my third computer, and uh, and so that was at the Army AFI's electronics store in Darmstadt, Germany. So, um, all right. So we're a little tight on time. So go ahead. Oh, so you moved right up the board again? Yes, I just the, I I stayed within the Commodore pro, the, all the, along the boundaries of Commodore's color uh, computers, um, because regardless of the model number, the Commodore Amiga was the last yeah. color computer they came out with, and big step so, up. So, huh? yep. Yeah, well, and I was just out of the army. I, I my four years were done. I I was home. Um, and that was in 88, I got home. So early 89, I filed my taxes, got my tax return, and I wanted a Commodore Amiga. I had enough to buy a Commodore Amiga. And the only place I knew that sold them Which was Electronics right? Boutique. Yes, an Amiga 500. Okay. I didn't care. I wanted an Amiga. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Electronics Boutique, which these days is now called GameStop, um, had Commodore Amigas for sale. I thought, okay, I can just go right in there. And buy it, bring it home. Well, it doesn't work that way, and I didn't have much choice. So it, it was about six hundred bucks plus tax. Um, it was six thirty-six, I guess. Um, I went into Electronics Boutique, and they had to fill out an order hmm. for me. They only had their model that they, you know, let you look at. So I had to actually order it and wait for it to be shipped to me. And if, of course, this was pre-internet. And so you can't just 
It's not Amazon two-day prime delivery, and you you don't necessarily get a tracking number. And even if you had it, you couldn't look online to, to see where your shipment is at. So every day is just waiting for the mailman to not stop uh, at your mailbox, but actually come to the door with a package. And about two weeks later, mailman came to the door with a package. And I was happy. Got this nice big box delivered. There's my Amiga 500. Uh, I went to basically push aside my Commodore 128 and 1571 and 1541 disk drive and get ready to hook up the Commodore Amiga to my – at the time it was a um, – a, I had a, a Sears-branded TTL RGB monitor so I can use the 80-column mode in the Commodore 128. Uh, so I thought, okay, I have an RGB monitor. Uh, it's got composite. I can hook, hook up the uh, Commodore Amiga to the RGB. The RGB, mon- R- yeah, RGB monitor and realize it doesn't work because the Amiga needs an analog RGB for 4,096 colors. It's a little difference there. And I couldn't use it. I got a, a really limited uh, myriad of colors. But uh, it has composite out, right? Well, composite out on the Amiga 500 is black and white. So then I noticed the box contained a Amiga 520 color composite adapter, which then plugging into the uh, video port in the Amiga, you have a color composite output. So I just hooked that into the composite input of my monitor. A little blurry than what the what they show with the um, you know the real Amiga monitor and stuff, but I could still see the Amiga. I was happy. I, I didn't have to go out and buy another part. It just happened to come with it. So I was good to go. Now I'm dealing with Using, I had over 500 five and a quarter inch floppies that now I'm dealing with three and a half inch floppies. So I'm just kind of reliving the experience again of like a new computer, new formats, and that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, I barely looked back. In fact, I sold my Commodore 128 system, everything. It was such a big move. I mean, such a big difference. It is. But I sold my 128 with like 500 floppies, and you know that had pirated stuff in it. Um, all, all my purchase software, my two disk drives, my cassette deck, sold it all for 500 bucks. So I got most of my money back for buying the Amiga. Yeah. But I didn't look back until I missed it. <laughs> right. But, you know, that, that could be a future episode for us. So my fourth computer, I still, I, I still didn't leave the 80s. So from 1981 to 1989, I had four different Commodore computers. Hmm. And, um, so also in the show notes, there's uh, just an image search for Electronics Boutique, but there's some interesting uh, pictures there where you can see some of the different storefronts. And also I put I added the show notes to the uh, Wikipedia article. So you're right, EB Games is a division of GameStop, which is what Electronics Boutique became, but technically, you know, they acquired them. So Yes, it was acquired. Yeah, so Electronics Boutique was, of course, independently owned up until 2005, and it was headquartered in West Goshen Township, Pennsylvania. So that's not too far from you, right? Yes, and I actually worked at the first Electronics Boutique in our local mall, opened up in 1990. Hmm. 1990, yeah, I worked there. Yeah, just a few a year or so after I bought my Mega 500 from Electronics Boutique, I uh, I worked in Electronics Boutique. But yeah, some, I'm looking at some of these pictures here, and it's and, kind of sad. All the you know how I mean, it happens in lots of different type of uh, what I want to say businesses where you know the little guys are. I mean, they weren't that little, but you know what I mean. But where they go away, it all becomes dominated by 
a few yeah, good players ultimately. And because what was some of the other the other? Um, well, you know? Babbage's. Yeah, um, yeah. There was Babbage's. Wow, that was GameStop software was, though. What was before? There was something else before GameStop. Well, actually, no. Electronics Boutique had a sister company called Games and Gadgets. Oh yeah, I remember them too. And that's actually uh, that's. The store I bought my Amiga 500 at was actually called a Games and Gadgets in the early 90s, but in the late – I'm sorry, early 80s, but in the late 80s, it was called Electronics Boutique. But mm-hmm. Games and Gadgets did more of, um, well, gadgets. They they sold, um, they sold less computers, uh, but they sold more like console systems, and they sold things like uh, specialized watches, calculators, other electronics, um, kind of like – Especially electronics or something, but that's what they focused on. I'm looking at some of these pictures that you uh, linked to, and I'm seeing uh, Nintendo. I'm seeing the old Electronics Boutique logo. I'm trying to find one of these that had a storefront which showed the old. And we definitely uh, had these in our area too. Oh, look, there's a picture for software and etc. So I remember them, Babbage's. So it's pulling up some of the other competitors, but uh, yeah. Oh, Circuit City. <laughs> there you go. Computer City, of course. There's lots. There's so much more we could talk about. Old computer retailers. Um, yeah, Computer City, I think, sold the Amiga too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they sold everything. And of course, they were partly owned. They were owned by Radio Shack or Tandy. Um. All right. Well, here we'll move along. Close out the episode. Let's see. So now, so after this, uh, I guess that was your last Commodore computer you bought. Yes, after that, I moved into the PC realm. Do you think a, a follow-up show on this theme would be interesting enough? I don't know. It, it'll, it will certainly detail my experiences with the, the PC. Um, but we don't that's have to pretty go much... every single one now after this, but we could both pick no. two or three, four, or whatever specific ones to highlight. Do you want to you do a next show a continuation of this? Yeah, we could. That sounds good to me, too. And if our listeners have any other ideas, you know. Mine might be a little boring, but for Mac listeners, they'd like it. <laughs> so to wrap this up then, my fourth computer, actually I cheat a little bit because I'm really going to talk more about my fifth computer, only because my fourth computer was a Mac Classic. And um, I bought that in early 92, mail order, um, still living in Germany in the Army. And um, it replaced the Lisa only because I could not find the one big um, limitation of the Lisa was printing from it. And when I wasn't in the army, I would take my files to like a business land and just, and uh, like I did resumes for people and stuff. And I just pay them like a dollar to print out a master copy, then take it to a copy shop really cheap and copy them. But I bought a HP desk writer, which was rather expensive at the time, but you know, reasonable for an inkjet. And supposedly it's supposed to work on the Lisa and I never can make it work. <laughs> and then I'm trying to make extra money, you know, there in Germany. So I, so I broke down after I got like my tax return, I think, in early '92 and bought a Mac Classic. So anyway, I already said enough about that. It was a great machine. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, actually, a little bit of a step down from the Lisa though, because it only had the nine-inch original form factor Mac screen versus the twelve-inch that the Lisa had. So, but anyway, jumping ahead, it was not even a year later. Um, I bought our first color Macintosh, my first color computer other than a Commodore 64. And it was a Macintosh Performa 400. That was the fall of 92. And my wife and I actually went on, um, 
vacation, a full 30 days. You could do that in the army. And yes, we, yes, you could. And, and we went to the States for almost a month. And, uh, and I actually, the only reason I was able to buy this is because of a Sears credit card. <laughs> so there you go. Maxed out a credit card again. So the Performa, the Macintosh Performa 400 was just a rebadged LC2 for you knowledgeable Mac listeners. I won't go into it, but, um, but it was a, a budget color Mac and, um, it served me pretty well. There's a link in the show notes um, of a pretty good picture I found. I was surprised to find this. It's actually from like a New Zealand website, I think. Anyway, not CZ. What do you think that is? Oh, CZ. Yes, I think Maybe. it's Czechoslovakia. So, anyway, there's a neat picture there. Uh, if you scroll down, there's some information about the three. So these were the three first, very first three performas that Apple introduced, and the reason they came out with these is to help build their retail presence because they, they started selling in Sears and started selling, I think, in Office Depot and uh, Best Buy maybe and a few other places. And they would have they'd have all these different model numbers and stuff that differentiate. It actually became a problem later on. And it's one of the things that Steve Jobs killed off when he came back. But but here you go. There's If you scroll down, you can see the pictures of the first three Performas. And there's actually a picture of a guy looking at a Performa 400 at a Sears. So that's what that experience was like. So anyway, oh yeah, that, I see the, the it does look like an LC too. I've, yeah. I've worked with those already in the past, um, writing some software. I forget what the language environment was, but yeah, I remember that it was like really thin pizza box. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, and Sears was not a. Uh, I was a Big Mac person, and actually. CompUSA and Sears and Office Depot stand out and any other place. So I was one of these guys too, where, <laughs> you know, and other Apple people, we'd walk into these stores and, and half the time the Macs wouldn't even be turned on or they'd all be all messed up or whatever. And, you know, and we'd be like, uh, we'd walk over there and turn them on and straighten them up. We'd help almost help, <laughs> help them sell the Macintoshes. So, but in any case, that was, uh, that was my first one. So, yeah, so I think, how about next time we'll continue on? Yeah, we can we'll, do that. We'll do one more show and we'll talk about, uh, you know, mine will all be Max, but kind of make it interesting, I think. Or, you know, it, it could also, maybe we can set the rules now. It'll it'll sort of... Do a hybrid? Hybrid where continuing the computers we got, but then it sort of, and you and I both know it, it sort of melds into retro computing and how we moved forward into retro computing because eventually along the timeline you, you did that yeah well d- i did yeah so this is actually around the oh, same you didn't time. get into retro computing yet <laughs> oh i did i did at this point absolutely yeah so actually this is right at the time the fall 92 when i got the performa so um because we left germany in the spring of 93 and at that point i was i was already planning to start collecting computers and i had made a um so yeah i can talk more about that too and and you can too about your site. So we'll we'll look into that. We'll figure it out. We'll make an interesting show. So so it's okay, Jeff. We'll wrap up the show this time, and um, we'll check out Facebook, Twitter, email, or whatever next time. Um, yeah, this one ran a little long, probably because I, I had some longer stories to tell. Yeah, it's fine. So, but we'll be getting together next time on Sunday, a little under two weeks on the fifteenth, and uh, and we'll continue the second phase of this. So remember, you can. <laughs> Go ahead. It'll probably be Sunday. I don't know. I may end up going to um, the, the vintage computer 
Federation or, or InfoAge, they have meetings every month. I may end up going to the one that weekend. Okay. Well, uh, we can either I do it ahead of always, time or later. I should be back by Sunday anyway because uh, I'll have to go to work the next day. But my understanding is some people, if they have to travel just a, at least a wee bit too far, they usually grab a night while they're out there. So that would probably be Saturday night. How long uh, of a drive is that? For me, it's about three to four hours. Wow. It's yeah, it's along the coast of New Jersey. I'm in mid southern south yeah. central PA. Um and depending on traffic, it it could be maybe three hours. Could be a little less, but I don't know. It it depends on how late it runs, you know, for the daily event. If it runs really late, I may not want to drive back that night and I could get some cheap hotel rooms. I could probably get a room <laughs> That night, and that'll give me because I use hotels.com. Uh, Ask them they can put you up in not, the. Um, I know sometimes special guests get to stay like on the at the facilities there. I don't know. <laughs> Set me up in an army barracks. Yeah, <laughs> been there, done that. You know, like across the street or something. That, email maybe somebody that's something. About that. Maybe that's something that uh, um, uh, Evan, Evan needs to look into. Um, <laughs> Get some museum space. If they have some spare rooms, just put up some cots. Uh, no, I think there's like a building across the street that sometimes people stay there, but I, I'm not sure at this point. But I, uh, either way, I usually get my rooms through Hotels.com. And if I get one more room, then I'll get a free room. Uh, so I can get one for uh, that next meeting, and then I can save the free room, at least for one of the nights, um, for VCF East. But with that, we're going to say goodnight. Remember, go to our website, historyofpersonalcomputings.com. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter page. Uh, There is the Vintage Computer Forum, which I haven't done too much or been there very much lately. But check that out. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear about your retail stories. Um, You you can write to us. You can just post it on the site if you want. Or or by all means, record it in audio and send it to us. It'd be great if we get a lot more submissions. We We could air them. Yes, <laughs> and, and we have some submissions now. We can we can hit them the next one. People have been responding to some oh, okay. of the Facebook posts. Okay, so we need to definitely make time for that. Yep. All right. So that's going to be it for this episode. Remember, caveat emptor: let the buyer beware. Always fully research all of your purchases and sellers first before buying. So see you next time. Merry New Year. Merry Happy <laughs> Biscuits. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. I need another pet rock. Tell me why I got that alpha alarm clock. Tell me why I bid on Shatner's old toupee that had it on eBay. I'll buy, buy, buy your knickknack. Just check.